Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, everyone. I'm Rebecca Minkoff, and you're listening to Superwomen. Today, we're speaking with Sutian Dong and Anu Degal from the Female Founders Fund. What is that? Well, they are funding, as a VC, women's companies, but they're also creating an incredible community. So they're bringing these founders along on a journey that is often lonely by uniting them, by having workshops and seminars. I love what they're doing. I love the diverse companies they're investing in and really taking a smart approach to making capital not so intimidating. Take a listen. So I'm here with Anu and Sutian of Female Founders Fund. What is it? What is the fund? Female Founders Fund is an early stage fund investing in technology companies started by women based in New York. We invest in the seed stage, um, investing, you know, 100K checks into companies, um, some of which you may know, Zola, Tala, Eloquy, which recently had an exit, um, are a few of the, the fund one uh, portfolio companies. And as I was thinking about Fund2, I wanted to to bring on a partner and uh, really wanted someone with a strong venture background. And at that point, you know, in New York, there was a handful really of women who had worked at top tier funds and had relevant venture backgrounds. And so, Sutian, how did we meet? We like to say that we met through Tinder, but that's not the case. There's always a pause after that. Uh, no, we were we were actually introduced through. Might have been through Tinder. Yes, like only only we know. Uh, no, we were introduced through one of our LPs at Zimmerman, and as a new mention um, before Female Founders Fund, I'd spent a number of years at uh, another shop in New York called First Smart Capital, and you know it's interesting that the the problem that we were were trying to address and, and the opportunity that we see, uh, I saw it from a different perspective at first mark where I was doing mostly consumer um, series A investments, which means I was investing a little bit later down the funding cycle. And from a period of 2008 to 2014, I had just seen more and more female founders come through my door, pitching what were uh, venture scale ideas uh, and demonstrating early traction and and really having the the point of view that was non-obvious and I think really compelling uh, to invest behind. And, and the one thing that was missing for me there was that, you know, they were all a little bit too early to invest in um, for my stage. And I'd say, well, let me know how I can be helpful for the next 12 to 18 months. Hopefully we can do something when you're ready for your next round of financing. But it became fairly clear to me from the other side of the table as an investor that there is a gap in the market and thus an opportunity in the market to invest at the first stages when an entrepreneur is raising money. And for female founders, it was the opportunity to invest not just capital, but also time and create the services and hopefully the other intangibles that help take a founder from zero to one and then to scale. And so fast forward to today, we um, are investing at a fund too. We are writing about 500K as a first check in to companies, which means that, you know, enables us to move quickly on deals. It enables us to lead or co-lead investments and really take a double down uh, approach into doing what we think we do best, which is supporting female founders at the earliest stages of their company's life. 
One thing I would love to discuss, um, because I feel like so many female founded or just women in general who are getting into the space, don't know what angel means, don't know what seed round means or series A. Do you mind giving a quick briefing? Because I think, you know, when I first Googled it, I was embarrassed that I had to Google it, you know, years ago <laughs> mm-hmm. when we started fundraising. I was like, I can't believe I don't know what they're talking about in this meeting. <laughs> um, and I didn't even have to tell anyone and I was embarrassed, you know? Yeah. So I think if you could highlight what those mean, that'd be awesome. Sure, sure. So typically when founders raise capital, they raise in tranches, which means that you don't raise all the money you ever need for your company at once. You raise it in stages. And the stages for venture capital typically uh, go from C to Series A and Series B, C, and beyond. Before you raise venture, typically folks will raise something um, called a friends and family round, which is raising capital from, as as you know, the name would suggest, your friends and family. And then they'll raise money from angels, which are high net worth individuals who take early bets on founders and companies. After founders raise from individuals, either their friends and family or high net worth individuals, then they'll go on and start raising institutional capital, which is where Female Founders Fund comes in. The first stage at which companies raise is typically called the seed round, like the seed capital that will you know, grow the tree or whatever <laughs> analogy that you want to use. But uh, that is the first round in which venture funds will typically come in, uh, institutionalize a couple of uh, aspects of a company, and then help those founders scale their businesses so that they can raise more capital in the future. And a series A, just to add on to that, you know, typically where we play a, a I think, significant role for our companies is post the the seed financing, getting to that next milestone of the Series A is incredibly important. And for first-time entrepreneurs, especially understanding the landscape in terms of, you know, who are the the really good Series A investors and establishing a relationship with them before they're actually ready to fundraise can be really important. And so typically that that Series A fundraise can range from anywhere call it six to, to these days, you know, 12 million. And so that's, that's typically where we, we tend to um, put a lot of time and effort into, into helping our companies um, be successful on that front. So um, it's probably well known that 3% of all female founded companies receive venture capital. So I'm curious to know when you were raising for your fund, yeah, did you have trouble raising capital even then to invest in female yeah. companies. So if you think about where we're at now, um, you know, back in 2013, um, it was incredibly difficult. I was a first-time fund manager. And the parallel is if you're raising money for a company, it's very clear um, what the product is. Whereas with a fund, you're really investing in the person's ability to both get access to deal flow, but then also to pick the right companies. And so for the first fund, had over 700 meetings, 70 investors in that first fund. So, you know, the conversion rate is not bad, 7%, but it, it, was, it was still very difficult. And, you know, that's partly due to the fact that first-time fund manager, but also due to the fact that you just haven't seen that many big exits um, from female founders, which I think is already starting to change. But I think that, you know, it was people who really understood the opportunity either as female founders or as investors, um, you know, they may have had personal experience themselves that I think were willing to take that that leap. So when you had 700 meetings, I'd love to hear a little bit about, I'm sure obviously 7% of that, you know, you ended up with, but what is it like to hear no? And what are some of the tricks in your toolbox yeah. to get over that? that so, so I think that the most important thing for me was, you know, you're obviously 
meeting a lot of people, as you said, who are saying no. Number one is to get feedback. So why? What about this opportunity? Do you do you have a hard time, you know, kind of um, putting money behind? And then second, who else is in your network that you can introduce me to? And it was never, you know, can you make four or five intros? It was just one. And I find that that was really helpful in terms of, you know, nobody can really say no to to one intro. Um, and I think that, you know, I, I had moved to New York relatively recently, so I didn't have a huge network here. And so it was really through that kind of referral system, if you want to call it that, that, um, that eventually, you know, the, the 5.85 million was raised. And I'd love to talk a little bit about how you guys, uh, you know, divide your roles as, as co-founders, uh, where you lead, where you step back, et cetera. And yeah, tell me a little bit about that. So I think one of the fun things, but also hard things about having a startup fund, right, is that, and, and this, this goes for any company, which is there are a million and a half things to do and there's only so many hours in the day. And so, you know, as, um, as partners, we have been you know, really good about uh, communicating with each other about the things that need to get done um, in any given day or week and being able to split those according to what else we have on our plate. I'd say on the fundraising side, a new, uh, given when we, given that fundraising is a, is a, full-time job when uh, when we're out raising uh, takes a, a lead role in that and then I'll take more of the like deal sourcing and portfolio management and then when we're not um, when we're not in fundraising mode we really split things and, and I, I would just add to that too um, one of the the things from a fund perspective that we focus a lot on is content and events and from a brand point of view I think that's really helped us kind of build a, a name for ourselves within the industry and so I think both of us tend to spend time you know just thinking through our event strategy our content strategy and and ways in which we can continue to grow that um, over time tell me about the events and the content sure so I think the idea from day one has been around obviously offering capital but then how do you build an ecosystem so that these founders feel part of something it's not just you know a check that you're you're taking from us and I think, you know, the fund's real mission statement is that you can make money by investing in a portfolio that's 100% female founded, which I think a lot of, you know, women obviously um, are excited by. And so I think what we, we've we really done from day one is think about what are ways in which we can add value from an operational perspective. So we started with a monthly CEO breakfast and people like Andy Dunn, who we mentioned, or Jen Hyman or Henry Davis from Glossier will come in for for a breakfast and really share their journey. And it could be around a particular theme um, often, but the idea is that the founders have access to this, you know, kind of off the record, which I think has been a big success. We also do quarterly press dinners where we invite journalists and our founders to kind of get to know each other off the record. On the content side, this is where we really think about about scale. And so you know, from an events perspective, I'd say running 40 to 50 events a year, we're, we're fairly, fairly close to peak capacity there. And so when it comes to, well, how do we scale out the Female Founders Fund brand, right? And how do we scale out the Female Founders Fund uh, a vision and mission and, and reach more people so that one, we have more supporters, but two, we have more people, more female founders who are looking towards us as, oh, this is the place I want to get that first check from. Um, it's really about leveraging, you know, and, and this is this is a little bit tripe, but like leveraging the internet to scale your story. So we are, you know, we're we're very active in terms of 
publishing content that is proprietary to us. Uh, we have a annual state of sort of female founders raising series A financing study that comes out in the beginning of every year. And that's quoted through um, by other publications the rest of the year. And it's, you know, creating creating thought leadership for us is really important as well so that we're seen not as again, not as a check, right, but also experts on a subject area that's only at the early innings of starting to explode, investing in female founders and female founders creating massive venture scale businesses. I feel like it's really rare to hear that, you know, VCs particularly do events or do content. Um, And I think it's refreshing to hear that. So I'm sure you get asked this question a lot, but how do you, how do you know as like when you're starting out, when to take in capital? As a, as a a founder? Yeah. So that's a great question. I think it really depends on how you think about what you want to build with your business. So there are plenty of amazing companies out there that I think require some early startup capital to kind of get things off the ground and can generate a great lifestyle. I think there are other businesses where if you put enough capital behind them, they actually have the capacity to to touch many, many, many thousands of consumers and fundamentally shift consumer behavior patterns as well. And so that's actually, you know, one of the early questions that we we ask um, potential founders is, how are you thinking about this business? Do you, how fast do you want to grow it? What are your long-term goals? Um, because you have to be aligned as investors and founders on that. I always say it's like you're getting married when you mm-hmm. partner. <laughs> yes. and, yeah. So, and the contract is much tougher than a marriage contract. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> so you want to make sure you like each other, at least have similar goals. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what are some of the common mistakes you see people when they're just starting or starting to fundraise do that sort of deters funding or doesn't help their business? I think, you know, going back to a news point, there are certain companies that are good candidates for venture financing, right? There are certain companies where venture may not be the best path for them. And then there's this bucket of companies where venture is a good path for them, but founders have trouble telling the story in a way that VCs, that will resonate with VCs. And so on on that third point, you know, some of the things that when when we invest, I should take take a step back. When we invest, we invest in high growth, high scale, high margin businesses, right? And when founders pitch us, we want to hear a story that demonstrates that they're building a company, though it's very early, they're building a company with the goal and with the fundamentals of a business that can support tremendous scale, right? That can support a really attractive margin structure and that is operating in a market that is massive, right? and ripe for disruption or a market that's massive, like it could be small right now, but is growing. You know, going back to your original question, the the things that can be early mistakes for founders, I think it's really not understanding those pieces and going out to pitch before you're ready and telling a story of, oh, I'm, uh, I'm creating a, a widget company, right? And the widgets, only a thousand people in the world are going to buy them. And it's like, okay, well, that's less interesting. Um, but if it's, oh, well, a thousand people, if it were in the early days of AR, VR, for example, right? It's, okay, well, I'm creating a headset. A thousand people may buy them right now, but I have this vision of the future where every single individual will have an AR or VR headset. And that's millions of millions of people in the world. And I have seen an opportunity right now to create the brand that resonates with the consumer who will uh, consume this content in the future. And th- those are net net the starting point is the same, right? But the vision and the story is very different. So it's really, I think, for founders, it's important for founders to understand who they're selling, right? And to craft the story in a way that resonates with the buyer. 
And almost recraft it per buyer, right? If you're mm-hmm. pitching several buyers, figure out what what they're looking for, because all VCs might be looking for something a little bit different. That's right. Can you help um, clarify what a PE firm would be doing as far as investing versus a VC? So what we, when you think about the different stages of investing, I think the world has started to shift a little bit with the, you know, arrival of the SoftBank fund, for example, where typically most VCs were focused on technology companies that were, you know, again, massively scalable and check size was large, but not as large as you would see in traditional private equity. I think Private equity has, from an industry perspective, a much broader range in terms of, you know, you can see, you can do retail, you can do hospitality, you can do hotels. There's, there's just a very, a, a much larger scope for, for investment. I think for, for venture capital, you've now seen much larger funds come, come to play. And so that's also fundamentally shifted how, you know, the industry is thinking about how do you keep up with, um, with this type of financing. The one thing that that I'll add is that PE can be both an uh, investor in a company and also an acquirer Mm -hmm. of a company. And so the definition of PE is just private equity, which means private you know, private companies transacting hands. And that could mean that PE firms act as a majority buyer, for example, of a business and then take control of that company. And so when, as a founder, you get to that point where you say, well, I'm really thinking about my next steps here and how do I get some liquidity for my business? PE may be a really good path. Whereas VC is all about investing in growth, right? In investing in uh, in companies that that by and large lose money for, for you know, not short periods of time until they go and, uh, and they IP or they um, they sell to an interested acquirer. I think it's important to also un- underline the fact that so many of these companies lose money for a while and a lot of cash is pumped into it. And it took me a long time to like figure out, oh, like we're not failures because we're losing money <laughs> and people are putting money into us. Like it, it felt very weird. Like I thought, oh, out right at the gate, we have to make a profit, which now, now we're knocking on wood. Now we are. But I think, you know, it takes some time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think you have to sort of I mean, I'm sure as investors know that, but as a founder know that yeah. it takes time sometimes. You're signing up for, you know, a long ride. <laughs> Correct. Or seven years sometimes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'd love to talk. You did an interview where you said that you didn't see gender as a crutch. I know that I didn't become aware that I was a female founder until it became a thing. I never started my company like I'm a female and I'm launching a company. Um, will you talk a little bit about your views on that? Sure. So I think things have, um, particularly in the last, call it 12 to 18 months or even longer, evolved in terms of the macro environment, being very aware and supportive of the fact that we need to see more women, in, particularly in the, in the venture industry, as well as in the tech industry overall. And so what that's led to is, I think, an awareness, both from an investor side, as well as from a founder side of the fact that a there need to be more women in the industry b from an investing perspective there are unique opportunities and insights that women have that they can take and then turn into really interesting business opportunities and so you know when we look at our portfolio there there are so many examples of of great founders who have really as Sutian says scratched their own itch mm-hmm. um so you know one that comes to mind is peanut it's a social network for modern motherhood but The founder was early at Bumble and, you know, once she had her first baby, realized that motherhood is incredibly lonely. And when you think about the different platforms that speak to mothers, they're not 
there really hasn't been that much innovation or change. And so what she's built very much speaks to the millennial mother and uh, allows her to connect both online and offline and address issues that I think, you know, you you don't have that many other forums that that really allow you to do. That's something as women we're seeing more and more of. We we have massive reach from a social perspective. You're seeing that on Instagram and and other social networks. And so if you can take that and turn it into a really interesting business idea that you're passionate about and have the right skills for it, it can be very powerful. So one of the things I like to talk about, at least I feel very open and expressing struggles I've had, failures, just because I feel that sometimes in the boys club, it's like, who's, you know, what is bigger? Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> right. And I, I'll never forget, I went to this event and uh, the, it was encouraged to share and all that happened was a brag fest. And I was like, this is not the point of this event, (laughs) but no one's going to share anything here. So as you started this or just some, you know, maybe you had an investment that didn't go well. I would love to hear about a personal or, you know, struggle with work and how you kind of got through it. Sure. I mean, I think the, the fundraising part of it for me has definitely been the most challenging. And I think that, you know, figuring out how to change the story to your earlier point to address different audiences is something that has definitely evolved over time. And I think that, you know, from a macro perspective, there's obviously a lot more interest in in kind of the space now. But I would say for me, just the having, especially in the early days, you know, being able to wake up every day after a lot of no's and kind of doing it on your own and wondering, you know, is there really something to this was, was probably, you know, one of the biggest challenges and obviously having a partner now, you have someone you can <laughs> talk to when you feel that way. Yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, maybe we can talk about some of the the companies as well. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, as early investors, um, we're, we're certainly not the founders of the companies, but we're, we start getting involved very early and it's, it's a, it's a personal relationship that we have with our founders and, and it's, uh, it can be challenging when, when things are hard for the companies as well. And so, you know, when I think about our portfolio and think about exit like Eloquy or large companies like Rent the Brownway. For every one of those, there's also a company that, you know, or companies that have have not gone as well as we we expected. And so, you know, a, a particular anecdote that comes to mind is um and, and I won't reveal this company's name, but in we we made in an early investment in a fund one company and through no fault of the 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 founder of the company there were just a couple of big roadblocks when she went out to fundraise. I think there was difficulty within the existing investor base. There was um, a lot of time in market, which for some investors, some investors can be very fickle and almost, and if they see something too many times, they're like, oh, it must not be a good investment. And so people are very, can be a little bit too fast in making assumptions about specific opportunities. But long story short, it was a really, really hard fundraise for her. And ultimately, um, she ended up raising her round with some some great investors after a three, what was it, three-month process, longer than usual process, and then now has gone on to raise more capital from, from you know, some some really, really great firms in the industry and turn that story around from one where it was like really hard. And we we're like, man, we believe in you and we're going to do everything we can to help you raise this round because we know that there's something there. But very much to news point, it can be a challenge to to keep your eye on the ball and eye on the future when in that present moment, you're like, 
we are boiling the ocean right now to find the right investors for for you. And so when that story turns, it turns, you're like, oh, thank God we did that. And thank God we persevered. But when you're in it and you're in the trenches, yeah. (laughs) So one thing which I only learned about recently was, I guess it had a name, imposter syndrome. You know, you're sitting, I'm sitting on a panel and I'm like, I'm not good enough to be here. (laughs) Or like, I'm, you know, part of a top 100, whatever. And I'm like, "I, I, I think this is fake news. Do you find that the female founders you work with struggle with this or have you ever felt this way? And what have you sort of done or not done to feel like, wait, no, I deserve to be here. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, I feel like that every day. <laughs> like, I really don't know what I'm doing, but I'm just going to pretend I, I do. Love that. But yeah, I mean, I think that's part of the roller coaster ride of being in this industry and, and starting something from scratch and Uh, As a founder, also, you know, learning new things every day and having to adjust and evolve who you are. So I think that, you know, imposter syndrome is something that I think guys have as well. Uh, I think they're just probably maybe better at hiding it. Right. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, we see that all the time. And I think, you know, one of the things that we... Uh, we've done, I think, a good job of is is not just being investors, but also being friends with a lot of our founders. Mm -hmm. And so as they're going through tough fundraises, as Zutian mentioned, or just, you know, struggling with, with, um, HR issues, we, we're their investors, but we also want to be their first phone call. And so, you know, you can call it almost like a therapist in some cases, but you know, we're, we're here to kind of be their cheerleader. Yeah. And I think it's important to also turn some of those opportunities around and really change work to change your, your framework. Uh, and and I'll, I'll give an example. Earlier in my career, when I first started to get asked to sit on these panels, it would be me and a bunch of people who had like 30 years of venture investing experience who are these super senior partners. And I would be sitting there. And of course, at that time, I was like the only woman. They're like, okay, we're going to get the token woman and you can be it. <laughs> and I would sit there and be like, man, I guess, you know, I feel... Like, I'm not equally as qualified to be on this panel, but I heard from somebody else told me this. They're like, well, what does it matter? Like the fact that you're a woman got you on the panel, right? And you're sitting on this panel with this amazing um, cast of characters. And and that's something that you should really lean into, right? It doesn't like, what? why do you care that you're less experienced? You're on it, right? And that that really was helpful to me in that uh, it really helped me change my, my frame of reference to be like, oh, I'm not good enough to be here to be like, well, I'm here. So I'm just going to start talking. <laughs> awesome. So one thing I like to share in every episode is something that people would be surprised to know about me. Encourage you guys. It can be personal. It can be professional. Since we're on the funding topic, I'll never forget. This was years ago. We thought we had made our first profit. So we had our board meeting with our investors and we're like, we made a profit. And we were all sitting around the table celebrating. And then we got back to the office and our former CFO was like, oh gosh, I made a huge mistake and I had the wrong addition in the column, we lost like 5x what we had told them was our profit. And we had to go back and be like, hey guys, just kidding. We actually didn't, we actually (laughs) lost a lot of money. (laughs) It was like this moment of just, we couldn't believe we were such assholes in that moment. So encourage any, anything. Yeah. I mean, I guess um, something that people may not know about me is that I had a a past life in the culinary industry. Oh, wow. Um, so I used to work it in the kitchen of this restaurant in New York. Um, it's no longer open, but I loved called Tabla. And then I went to cooking school in France. Um, and then I opened a wine bar 
And so I love the industry. I'm a big foodie and, um, you know, who knows, maybe in my next life I'll um, become a chef, Love but, that. um, but not for now, <laughs> for the time being, we have a lot of food related investments in, yes. our, in our portfolio. <laughs> That's how you're satisfying yes. us. <laughs> Scratch the itch a little bit. Um, I guess for me, one thing that people are always surprised by is, um, how I think not seriously we take ourselves at work <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, this is, you know, I think as as female founders or even founders generally, a lot of people will look at VCs and be like, oh my God, it's like this firm, right? It's this VC firm and like there's people, but they're like very serious <laughs> business people. And, uh, you know, for us, like when you when you sort of even even lift the curtain a little bit, like we, you know, we're, we're a startup and we, we're a really small team and we have a lot of fun with each other. And so when people come to our office and they see one, like how sort of generally disheveled it is, <laughs> And two, uh, just, you know, what goes on behind the scenes. I think people come away always really surprised being like, oh, wow, you guys actually like, like working with each other. And are normal people. And are normal people, <laughs> yeah. And so it's not surprising to me because I'm like, oh, yeah, of course, we're really fun. Like, you should hang out with us. But <laughs> I'm um, Perfect. Next up. No, uh, but I think for, for some founders, when people see that, it, it humanizes us a little bit more. Totally. So any last words of advice you'd like to leave our listeners with, either people who want to fundraise or even women who are just working in corporate America who, who need a little bit of... Yeah, I think if you want to fundraise, you should just go and do it. The worst thing that will happen will, will be that people will say no and they'll tell you why and you'll realize that your business either may not be the right fit for that individual. It may not be a venture scale business. You may be just too early in your company to raise money, but to... To play the like wait and see and when will be the quote unquote perfect time for me to raise, like you should just go and do it and you'll learn so much by doing that. Yeah, I would say for me, uh, particularly for women in corporate America, just kind of thinking back to my starting out after college, I think your network is the most important thing you you have. And so taking the time to develop relationships both at work and outside of work with people that you really respect and seeing them, you know, once a quarter or getting their advice as you go through your career, you know, whether it's figuring out your next steps or, or challenges at work. I think that over time, those people will be, um, will be really important for you. And so investing early into developing those relationships is really important. Awesome. Thank you for being here. Thank, Thank you, you for, having for having us. us. That was Anu and Sutian. I hope you enjoyed taking a listen to the crazy world of finance. Don't forget to download, rate, and review us, and definitely give us a shout out. We're always reading. Thanks for listening. <laughs>